Hey guys, welcome back to a very special edition of the Swish Waterlad podcast. So yesterday I released the episode with Ajit, um, and as you would have heard, absolute lad. Um, I felt like I'd, I was speaking to a mate who I'd known for years, even though we'd never met. Um, such a cool guy, um, really good energy and a really cool story. Uh, but anyway, a couple of days after we recorded that first episode, I had a message from Ajit saying that he was ready to open up about some of his uh, mental health struggles that he's had. Um, and speak a little bit about mental health. So um, I'm always honoured uh, when I hear people say that they're comfortable speaking on what a lad and, and being vulnerable. Um, so super grateful for Ajit to come back on and go a little bit deeper in this one. It is a massive issue in New Zealand and in the world, to be fair. So um, hopefully this um, episode can help you if you are going through something similar to what Ajit did. But yeah, always cool to hear people opening up. So I hope you enjoy this one. But mate, I'm joined here by with Ajit Rai again. Um, mate, stoked to have you back on. Uh, thanks for reaching out. I know you um, felt like you had a little bit more to talk about than uh, we first sort of spoke about the first time you came on. So um, appreciate you reaching out and willing to come back on. Yeah, mate. It's uh, of course uh, it's always great to you know be on the show and talking to you and. Um, yeah, I just wanted to be very, you know, transparent and kind of open up a, a little bit more on the journey of a tennis player because it's all well and good to speak about the highs and how exciting it is. But I, you know, kind of wanted to have some real talk and, you know, the journey I've been on and, and come through and the battles I've had to overcome um, on the way. Yeah, mate, awesome. I'm looking forward to this because, mate, Finishing that episode, uh, listening back to it, I was like, "Man, you're such an easy guy to talk to. You got so much, so much good energy about you." Um, I felt like I'd known you for years, even though we'd never met before. And then to hear that you have been suffering with mental health issues and things like that, would never have picked up on that from um, that episode. Yeah, I think it's the beautiful thing about having a mask. Yeah, um, I think it's it, you know it was great that it, like you can hide it for so long but then it, it starts you know it's you know the pressure cooker starts uh overflowing and i just you know if i can inspire any kid to play tennis was a dream of mine and if i can help any kid and realize that they're not alone um mm. then you know it's it's also quite a like edgy dangerous topic to also talk about because it's very personal and when you feel you're talking about something personal you feel you're most vulnerable so I've only really spoken to my close family and friends about this and you know day by day I could talk to one extra person about it and was comfortable at the start I couldn't talk to anyone about it no matter who was closest to me um Mm. and now I feel I'm comfortable to speak about it because I would like to think that those battles are in my rear vision mirror um, and I'm looking at going forward and improving myself as a person, as a player and mentally more than anything. So, yeah, I just want to share kind of my journey and if I can help anyone on the way and anyone can realize that they're not alone, as as lonely as it feels, then, you know, uh, that would, you know, that's one of my goals ticked off mate 100 i appreciate you coming on and being so open and vulnerable because i know how many um, listeners get so much out of this it's such a common 
common thing these days. People suffer with uh, mental health, and uh, from the little episodes we've touched on it so far, the amount of messages I get back from people who can relate and how much they get out of it, um, I know it doesn't go unnoticed. So, mate, really appreciate you coming on and being open and vulnerable to talk about that. But, mate, how did how did it all start? When did you when did you know? So. 20, I think it was 2019 or 2018, you know, I won my first pro title. Everything was going great. Um, yeah. I was going up the rankings and everything was all positive. Started getting a few more sponsors. So I got a bit more financial help, which meant I could play more tournaments. And then I was in the gym um, about a week before I was heading to Africa for four events. And I was, you know, squatting in the gym and, I'm not the strongest guy, but I was just trying to, you know, stick to my program and I felt a spasm in my back. Um, The spasm started spreading. I was, you know, bedridden for a couple of days and they told me it was my facet joint. And when I got treatment, they clipped it back in a place, felt good as new. Went to Africa, caught that 19 hour flight to Dubai and then six hours to Kampala in Uganda where I was playing four events where my dad was actually born and he was a refugee. So he wanted to take me back there to play some tournaments. And my first hit I was hitting with uh, one of my Irish friends, uh, Simon Carr. He's a good player and we were training together and I um, went for like a quick reflex volley and I felt the same spasm in my back. Um, Now, I have come all this way. I'm so far away from home. Um, I've got four events. I'm going to play them. That's how I thought. I, you know, the injuries that I had, I never was injured. So it was like, walk it off, put some ice on it, chuck a bandaid on, you're fine. You know, um, my dad also, he was a refugee from Africa. So he's pretty, you know, he's pretty tough and injuries don't come close to what he came through. So he, you know, he, my body was always looked after. I never got injured. I never had any issues. And now when I had this back problem, I kept playing on it and playing on it until about week two. So I played the first week. And then in the second week, I woke up, couldn't feel my left foot, couldn't move my toes, um, couldn't feel anything in my left foot, uh, absolutely numb. And I went to tie up my shoelaces that morning to go train and I'm going and I like pull my shoelaces and I yank my back and I feel like an electric shock through my body. And my whole nerve system is just like, it's just strangling. And if I went to say kick a rugby ball, like stretch that hamstring, my left one felt like barbed wire was turning in my back. Like it just, the nerve was just pulling. So it was my sciatic nerve. So I got home, went straight to the physios. They got me an MRI. Yep. You have a bulging disc or a disc protrusion and it's jamming on the nerve. So you can't play. So I'm like, what do you mean I can't play? Like it's an injury, a couple of weeks or something. They're like, no, you're going to be out of action for two, three months by the time your rehab's finished. So then two, three months comes up. I go to play my first match back. I'm done on my rehab. I was playing in New Zealand. I go for a smash and I feel it and it compresses and the same thing happens and I jam the nerve again. And I'm like, no chance. Like I'm just not going to tell anyone. So I'm going to keep taking painkillers and keep taking Voltarins and keep just trying to you know, get through. If the physios asked me, can you do this? Yep. I, I was so drugged up when I went to the physios, like on painkillers, not drugs. I don't do any drugs. Like, I mean like painkillers. Um, I was <laughs> yeah. so heavy, like on painkillers that I couldn't feel it. So if they tried to test me, I was like, feel good as new. So they cleared me to play and ended up being like 
nine months um, after the nine month period. So I heard it and then I got injured in three months. Then it kept getting injured at the nine month period. I just said to them, look, I can't play anymore. I'm just in too much pain. They're like, what do you mean? You've been fine. I'm like, look, this is what I've been taking. So I was taking this all the time. As soon as I felt it, basically couldn't driving her, playing tennis, her didn't really play any golf because that would have been the worst thing for it. So I was just in pain all the time. Um, so then when I was out for, you know, and I couldn't play, I realized that no one really spoke to me. Um, some sponsors didn't want to know me. They, they dropped me. Yeah. Um, no one really knew who Ajit was without tennis. It was always just tennis, tennis, tennis. It was always, oh, you're the tennis player. Oh, okay. Uh, we know you. You're the tennis player. Tennis this, tennis that. So without tennis, no one messaged me. No one called me. I realized that I was actually quite lonely. I hadn't built any relationships with my mates back then. I hadn't tried to build a tight unit. I hadn't reached out to my mates. It was all on me, but I just hadn't really reached out to anyone because I thought that the people who were close to me, like my sponsors and stuff, who I have some great sponsors, but at the time, the people who were close to me weren't really close to me. They were close to me doing well, mm-hmm. which is absolutely yeah. fine, but that's just life. Um, you know, everyone loves a winner. That's just how it is. And in the country of New Zealand, being okay at tennis or being number one in the country gets you some recognition. That's just how it is because it's a small country. And I just tied all my self-worth to tennis. So at the time, I didn't realize what it was. I just thought that, okay, I need to get back on court because I'm not a person without tennis. I need to get back on court and I need to start winning. So I'd be practicing unbelievable, but in matches it would start happening that I'd start getting like a really tight chest in matches. I couldn't breathe. I would go to the back of the court and I just felt like I was, you know, this big and the court was huge. I would start, you know, like not hyperventilating, but I just felt like I couldn't get air in. Like I just felt like I was literally just like locked up. I was like breathing through a straw and this is playing a professional sport. Um, But in practice, I was absolutely fine. My back was fine. Everything was fine because there's no result. So it was all tied to result and it was all tied to, you know, being um, a tennis player and being achieving. All of that was my identity, I thought. Mm. And, you know, my dad always tried to tell me that, you know, your tennis is your tennis and you're you. We love you. We don't care if you play tennis. But I was like, yeah, okay, sweet. Like, I'm going to be world number one. I'm going to be top 100 in the world. All the, I had all these goals. And if I didn't reach them, I was a bad person because I failed at what I tried to do. So then it got worse and worse last year in Tunisia when I was over there playing and I was stuck there. And then when, um, you know, some things happened around, uh, you know, Davis Cup and decisions were made and, um, you know, they made decisions which was best for the team and that's fine. And I didn't make the team um, last year and that also added to it and it just kept building up and up and I would lose matches and you know I would have a bad day and I'm ready to talk about it then the next day I'd win a match and then you're like oh okay look I just had a good day now so I'm actually fine like I'm just gonna ride this high and you know I'll talk about it later I'll talk about it later and then um I came to LA in January and in December, didn't play a whole lot of tennis, was doing a lot of physical work with my trainer, got in good shape, but didn't play a lot of tennis. And when you aren't playing in the sport, you can't even, 
It's like when you're in it, you feel like you're like nearly hallucinating, like you're imagining things. And then when you leave it and leave the triggers, like you go away from them, you can't even remember those thoughts. You can't remember the feelings. But as soon as yeah. you go into those feelings again or into, you know, uh, where you're triggered by it, it's like coming straight back to you and you can't, you're like, I'll never forget this feeling. But then as soon as you go away and you go and you're, you're with your, you know, some of your friends at the beach or you think everything's good. You think everything's fine. Just a tough day in the office. Um, and then I came back to LA and I was playing in close to LA and I had just had a massive panic attack and, you know, I went back into, um, into the car and I was just, you know, a lot of emotion and just didn't know what to do. And I picked up the phone and, I called my parents and I was like, what do I do? This is what's been happening for the last. And, you know, of course, mom, she, you know, would blame herself. She thought it was her fault. I was like, this is no one's fault. This is me. This is on me. I just haven't want to talk to anyone. I put on this mask off. I'm a happy guy. Everything's great. And, but it comes a point where it just becomes too tough. And I had to get to rock bottom to understand that. Mm -hmm. And then when I, uh, finished in LA, um, I started working with a psychologist here and for a week I just stayed in my room. I actually got really, really sick during that period. Um, we're not sick as in like not eating and stuff, but I just got like a really bad flu from stress during that time. Yeah. And I had to pull out of tournaments and I, you know, I genuinely thought it was COVID, but I kept testing negative. It wasn't COVID. Mm. Um, and I just, you know, was in this room where I am now because I'm in San Diego um, where I actually had a really good base and I was just in the room for a week and didn't want to leave. I just was my happiest when it got to about 6 p.m. and it was dark and I could just sit in my room and just be not hassled and just be by myself and that was my happiest. Mm. Um, and my parents, you know, they wanted to fly over and I was like, look, I started working with a psychologist and it's kind of something I needed to do on my own. Um, and... Uh, with the psychologist, kind of the things we started working on was, you know, a cheat is a G and tennis is tennis. And I am, you know, I'm, I'm human. I'm meant to be, I'm a good, I think I'm a good brother. I'm a good friend. Um, you know, I've got plenty of things I need to work on, but I'm a person outside of tennis. Tennis is what I do, not who I am. And when I kind of started talking to people about it one by one weight was just being lifted off my shoulders. Like I actually like just couldn't stop smiling when I started talking to people about it. And they were kind of looking at me like, why are you smiling? I'm like, you don't understand how good this feeling is. Like I can actually speak to someone about it. And it was the best feeling ever. And now, um, you know, I lose tennis matches. I win tennis matches, but I feel like a five-year-old kid again playing tennis down at the courts with my dad. That's the feeling I have. Mm. Every time I get up, I'm so excited to play because it's the sport I love. But I got to a point where I hated it so much because of where I was at mentally. I just, if I, I was so scared to lose a tennis match that I was like terrified if the ball came back. If the ball came back, I was just mm. so scared and you would start self-sabotaging. You would, you know, all this stuff, like it was just, it's a downward spiral. And the weird thing is that now that I'm addressing things I need to address and I'm talking to people, there's, I feel a lot less pressure on myself. The only pressure I feel yeah. on myself is that I wake up and give my hundred percent of my, 
idea of success used to be win this, win that, get this sponsor, get that sponsor, all irrelevant BS. And now my idea of success is being in my bed at the end of the night and saying, I just put in a really good day's or, uh, day off work and I'm satisfied. I had my list. I have my things I do every morning. I go into my diary and write what I need to get done and I've ticked it off. And that's my idea of success now. And if I end my career and I don't get any better than I am now, but I gave it my all, then I'm absolutely fine with that because I've done everything in my control and in my process to do that. And I am probably the most, I'm prouder of myself that I'm come through what I have rather than won any tennis match or done anything. That's the most, that's yeah. the most joy and high I've got in my life was looking back and being like, yeah, I just completely, I won that battle. That's the mo- that's the battle that was most important to me. So, it, I mean, that's my journey. It could sound, if people know me, they'll be like, zero chance this is like what's happened. Like they can, whatever they think, because I'm just, anyone who talks to me, I'm a positive guy. Like that's how I try to be. Um, you know, I try to yeah. talk shit. I just try to be positive. I just try to have a good time. I don't take life too seriously, but that's the only way I could keep people here mm. by acting like I just didn't care about anything until, mm. you know, now my relationship with my family has gotten a lot better. I was just back home for two weeks, um, two or three weeks. And I probably had the best time I've ever had being back in New Zealand. Um, my, you know, my parents and my relationship is amazing. My relationship, with my brother and sister is really good. Um, I talk to them every day. I just, you know, I just am so filled with kind of like joy of life. And that doesn't mean that, okay, you're done. You've got to keep improving and you've got to keep improving. But I mean, that's kind of the conversations I've been having was this very one with my closest people around me. So I just kind of, the reason I thought it was time is because I thought this is a platform where if anyone out there is struggling with the same way or having the same thoughts that there's always a way to improve and get better. And where people say it's not, you know, it's not weak to speak and all of this. I also think that you can't tell someone to speak. You can't tell, but you can tell someone to feel the way you feel. It's okay to Mm. absolutely feel the way you want to feel. And you might not have to speak up, but I think acting on it is the biggest bravery, you know, acting and on, on it as in like improving is the biggest that that's showing true, like true heart, I think in a, in a cheesy way of saying. So yeah, that's kind of, kind of where things are at for me right now. Mate, there's so much in there and you mentioned about the mask and stuff and obviously the last podcast I did with you, didn't pick up any of it but listening to you speak now and hearing some of those things you're talking about going back to you know being injured you you mentioned in the podcast the earlier one where um when you're injured you don't get paid and then hearing you talk about everyone sort of dropping off your uh, not wanting to know you anymore because Mm. you're the tennis player and things like that and all that extra pressure on you to be this successful tennis player and 
Um, you, I remember you talking about how lonely it is uh, traveling by yourself, living by yourself, and it's always you have to be your own best friend. So, re- rem- remembering back to some of those things, and then hearing you speak here, a lot of it all makes way more sense because it must be such a hard sport, and you see it throughout all a lot of individual sports on how hard some of these uh, we've seen it in the cycling and the Olympics and things like that a lot of people are um, taking their lives in, the, in these sports because there's so much pressure on them to succeed and they feel isolated they're by themselves and mate, it's so powerful to hear this um, coming from you I mean I think a lot of the athletes I've you know because a lot of the time I would search up and you know, you'd search up on the internet and stuff. You'll be like, is this normal? Because you don't feel normal. You feel broken. That's how you feel. You literally feel like you're broken and you never expect these things as a kid. I mean, when you're a kid, when you start playing the sport till you're 16, you hear of stories like this and you're like, that's just not me. That won't happen to me. Like, I, there's no way I would get to that, you know, but you think that it's just so far away and it's so far-fetched. It's like stuff like the current events that happen around the world, you just don't think you'll be involved in it. And then when it happens, yeah. then when it happens to you, you kind of feel like you're, the, you're one of them, you're broken. But then when you realize and come through it, I don't really care what anyone else says because I'm happy. That's all that matters. I know that... I have a family that loves me. I have friends that love me. I have a good coaching team. Um, I have sponsors that have my back. And that's all I need, to be honest. That's all I need. Um, all the. I also think it was half... I think it was self-inflicted as in the sense that my goals were wrong growing up because you see you always look at the top and you look at how the top people live and you want to live like that. You want to drive nice cars and you want to, you know, wear nice things and you want to go to nice places. But man, I was about to swear, but sorry, but just work for it. Like work for it. It doesn't come by acting because it just ends up punishing you in the long run. And that's what I learned the hard way. And I'm absolutely fine to admit that. And my parents might see this and probably blast me maybe for, you know, speaking about it. But it's, I'm just, one thing I'm starting to do is go with my gut feeling. And if I can help someone out there, that's all I want to do. Um, that's all I want to do. I want someone to see this and be like, okay, look, I can, I can talk about it or I can act on it and be brave and make a difference to myself. And then they can make a difference to someone and they can make a difference to someone and it goes forward and it's a domino effect and everyone keeps helping everyone and there's just this massive community of people helping each other. I don't understand why, you know, when I was injured, it was, oh yeah, you're, oh, you could have been, oh yeah, you were like maybe the next best singles player in New Zealand. Oh, you could have been winning tournaments, but now you're injured. And it was like, oh, you're, someone even called me broken at a tennis center. I went in there, they're like, oh, you're broken now, aren't you? You're not playing much. And I was like, yeah, cheers, mate. I'm real broken. That helps. And that's coming from people at your own country, which is absurd. The rest of the world's already trying to beat you. And now you've got people in your own country, people bringing each other down. Just doesn't make sense. How low did it get for you? What was, what was the, what did the worst look like for you? Did you, did you contemplate taking your life? Was it that bad? And how did you get through it? Um, yeah. I mean, those thoughts, I never, I'm 
completely honest, I never would have acted on those thoughts, but I had those thoughts all the time. Mm. Um, never would have acted yeah. on them because I know that I have a family that loves me and I see the way my mum acts when I leave the house to go for a tennis tournament. So I, you know, I have a very loving family and I think it's, again, everyone's hurting, but I just don't think it's strong doing that. And I don't want to say the wrong thing here and don't want to come across like I'm being an absolute um, dick, but I just don't think it's strong to do that because I think it affects a lot of people. You taking your own life affects you. Um, you know, you might think it affects you, but it affects a lot of people in, in the process and a lot of people around you because every person has someone there. And the lowest it got is that I just didn't want I don't even think this is low, but I just didn't want to get out of bed ever. Like I just wanted to stay there the whole time. Like I would get days when I, and I'm a morning person. I like to get up early and get stuff done. I wouldn't get out of bed till 4 p.m. I would just stay in bed the whole day. And I used to post Instagrams of me playing tennis when I was in bed so that sponsors and stuff would think I was training, but I was just in bed and didn't want to leave. So that's pretty much how bad it how how bad it got um i was actually very lucky i had uh out of anyone i don't know if you'll get upset that i'm mentioning his name but anton um lennett brown who has been like a older brother to me and i actually called him when i was in the states here at a very low point because i knew of the battles he has faced and he's you know, opened up about the battles he's faced and mm. I called him and, you know, he was just unbelievable to talk to and the sense he made of things, not that it changed anything, but the thing it changed is it got me up and wanting to make a change. Mm. So I think having role models like that it's not the fact that they play a professional sport. It's the fact that they're there for you at rock bottom. And now I know that the people who are there for me at rock bottom, whether I get to world number one, whether I stop playing tennis tomorrow, those people are going to be with me for the rest of my life. So cool. So um, what, is it, what does that look like from obviously Anton Leonard Brown? Like obviously a lot of people know people who are suffering. Always tricky to know how to help what to say. Um, so what did it look like for you or what would you recommend for people in your position? I think just constantly talking to them. Not, I think one text saying, are you okay? How are you going? Is not um, kind of the way to go. I know it's from a good place and it's good intention, but I feel it's like, mm. you know, it's like a little concrete wall and you've got a little hammer and you just got to keep going until that wall breaks. Mm. And I was very lucky because the hardest thing is the effort to talk about it. It just feels yeah. like it's such an effort. But if someone keeps talking to you, keeps talking to you and keeps pestering you, and then you go, mate, I'm not okay. I'm actually not all good. Things are not great. And that's when they can talk about it. But if I haven't talked to someone in six months and I go, hey, bro, are you okay? Do you really think that guy's going to talk to you? I don't know. Personally, I wouldn't. I, you know, if I had a message from someone I haven't talked to in a year and he goes, hey man, are you okay? I'm not going to open up to him. 
But if I have someone for who's constantly messaging me, how are you? How are you? How are you? Maybe even comes and visits you, house things, knows you have his back, then he could. T- then I would open up to him. If that does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. So, how did you get the courage to sort of push through it and have the courage to ring up like an All Black Anton Leonard Brown and tell him tell him how you really felt? Well, I'm I'm also lucky that Anton has helped me a lot for the past two years. You yeah. know, I've had a good group of those rugby boys who have had my back for the last couple of years. And Anton was just the one who's been like a big brother to me that I I knew that whatever time of day, if I called him, he'll pick up the phone and he'll mm. he'll talk to me about it. Um, and I'm just very grateful he was he was there um for me to talk to me and he kind of gave me the courage that hey look if he is able to talk about it then why can't you know he doesn't the way i look at him i don't know about anyone else but when someone talks about it i'm like man that guy has balls that's how i that's how i see it i'm so stoked that that guy's trying to make a change and i understand people who don't want to talk about it though because it's a very sensitive thing and it's very it makes you feel vulnerable and that vulnerable feeling is like you're sitting out in a you're you're in a massive field and you've got guns pointed at you that's how you feel you feel like you could get shot at any time you've shown you've shown everyone your cards now it's up to them what they do with them that's how it feels and i i guess back to your question is that i'm just very lucky that i've had constant support by him if i didn't if I hadn't talked to anyone or hadn't, he hadn't known, you know, cause I've had conversations with him about this in the past and he's helped me a lot around mindset. But if I didn't talk to anyone or didn't talk to him for a year, I wouldn't pick up the phone and call him. Yeah. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just lucky. And now, you know, I was lucky, you know, that's why I think my results in Thailand were kind of, the most rewarding because it showed that the process I'm sticking to is working and the things I'm doing and the way I'm approaching my matches is, you know, I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to stick to my process and I'm going to go to a war. And if my opponent beats me, credit to him too good. I'll get up tomorrow and do it all again. You know, I might have a tantrum. I might be upset. I'm far from perfect. If anyone knows me far from it. But one thing I'm trying to do now is just, I'm just very process driven and I'm very lucky that I know what that looks like because a lot of people would talk to me about it and until you really know the effects of not sticking to a process, you won't stick to it. I feel that I had to be at rock bottom until I got myself out and my parents gave me every opportunity under the sun. You know, they were the most loving parents in the world. They are the most loving parents in the world, but I couldn't take any opportunity. I couldn't act on anything because I was not at peace with who I was as a person and how I was acting. Mm. And it had to all collapse until I could rebuild. Mm. So what coping mechanisms have you got going forward? So let's say you get another back spasm, you're out for nine months or something. How do you think you'd deal with that differently this time around? Well, that's the the thing that like, you know, I've had injuries and stuff, but there's always an area of you to improve yourself. Um, and then you can come back a better person and a better player. You know, it's not about 
the quantity of tennis you play, it's the quality of tennis you play. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is that I now know that every time, you know, for example, I never wanted to have a rest day. On my 21st birthday, I had two drinks and then went and ran 21 kilometers mm. at like two in the morning because I felt guilty. Um, and now I understand that if you have a rest day, you can stretch, you can do your yoga, you can get better, you can work on your wrist strength, you can work on your ankle mobility, you can work on your neck mobility, I don't know. You can. There's, there's always areas to improve on, but the biggest one is like when I went home and I wasn't playing much tennis, but I was doing a lot of physical work, I, you know, I can work on myself. Mm. I can work on myself. I can pick up the phone. I can, you know, today I had lunch with my psychologist. I can, and we might not even talk about anything. We didn't really even talk about tennis today or we didn't talk about coping or anything today or coping mechanisms or anything. I just, it was good to have lunch with someone that you're connected with. You know, it doesn't have to be, a session every time you don't have to be doing that type of stuff but just having the the freedom to be who you are and who you want to be is the best feeling in the world hey so good mate so good and is it common in tennis do you know many other tennis players who are suffering as well or have suffered i know a lot of tennis players that have dealt with it a lot that i called during that time yeah to ask them a lot of players I lean lean on as they're my closest friends and I won't name who, um, but a lot of them who you would see them and you're like, this guy's rock solid. They're not. And everyone just deals with things differently. But the reason I look at them and I'm like, I really want to, I really admire what you're doing is because they're always looking to improve themselves. And maybe they didn't get to rock bottom. Maybe they caught themselves halfway. Maybe... They don't suffer from it. Mm. Um, Each person's on their own journey and you can't compare, but you can ask people if they had the same thing as you, what happened? How did you deal with it? So I think it's a very common thing with any sport because of how the public and uh, the media and everyone, you know, tries to, they always paint a portrait of who you want to be or who, not who you want to be or who they want you to be. And I just think, you know, there's, it's pretty rare that you see a lot of people praise someone for doing something good. As soon as someone does something a little bit bad, it's let's pull them down. Let's get it out there. Let's, you know, if the guys I look to are here and I'm here, you know, I want to be there. But I feel like a lot of the time people try to bring this person down and, uh, I know a lot of tennis players that have dealt with it and, you know, I I think a lot of people do deal with it, but I don't think a lot of people speak out about it because they're not comfortable to and that's absolutely fine. This has been a three, four month coping process I've been on. So, you know, I started, you know, I suffered from it for two, three years and then spoke about it for the first time in January. That doesn't mean that every single day was a bad day, but the bad days became worse every time. Crazy. And how much did social media play a part? You mentioned a little bit about posting while you're in your dark room. Did social media have a big effect? Obviously, everyone paints these perfect lives. And um, Social media did as in the fact that 
I tried to be someone I wasn't on social media and I'm absolutely fine to admit that. I tried to be uh, someone who yeah, absolutely wasn't and now I just post whatever I want. I don't post nearly as much as I used to um, because of the fact that my close mates know where I am. My family and friends know what I'm up to. So you might have contract obligations with people that you have to, um, you know, you have to post, but I'm, my sponsors are amazing and I'm loyal to them and they're loyal to me. And I've got very, very good partnerships with them. Um, but social media, yeah, I've definitely changed the way I see it and changed the way I want to be seen on it. And I think it's just stuff someone might tell you, Hey, you're doing this wrong or you, but stuff you need to realize for yourself. Um, but social media, I think also didn't help when you win or you lose, you know, when you lose the abuse you get is pretty, pretty rough. And you start believing it because when you're in certain situations, you start like, man, I'm going to get like, you're just going to get abused, you know? And you can look at it as a joke and try to be like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Like, it's great. It's fine. But the abuse you get does, it ends up, even if they are match fixes or whatever you call them, the guys who bet on your matches, it's still, you start, what you read is what, you know, you start thinking it. So, um, yeah, I, I just think it's all, things though like social media and media and what i read it's all in my control so that's part of my process is filtering what i what i do with it um everything that's happened and on my journey has been my my fault or it's been at you know at at my you know of course it's been at my cost but it's been my fault and getting myself out of it again was my fault i've had very good support team at the end of the day whatever bad or good happens to me it's on me it's in my control Mate, it's been super cool to hear um, the deeper side of your story. Obviously, um, the first episode, um, this bubbly personality, so much fun, sounds such a good lad to be around, but um, hearing the deeper side of your story and what some of the struggles you've actually had to go through has been incredibly powerful. And like you said at the start, um, if one person listening to this can get something out of it, um, then it's been 100% worthwhile if it stopped them from... Um, taking their life or even just helping them get out of bed or try and fight um, the depression or uh, mental health issues that they're facing then um, like you mentioned this is definitely worth it so I really appreciate you coming on and um, opening up being vulnerable Um, I've got no doubt there'll be a lot of people um, listening to this who would have found it very beneficial awesome thank you so much bro thank you for hearing uh, my side of things and I'm just hoping that you know, I can make a change to at least one person's um, journey. Um, And that's all I want to do is show that someone like me, who I like to see myself as a bubbly person and very, you know, outgoing and man, I talk a lot, but um, I, (laughs) everyone goes through battles. It's not a certain person that can suffer from it. It's not, someone's fault that they suffered from it it's just it is what it is and you have to deal with it Mm. and there's people to help you deal with it and call me someone call me i'll help you like if you know i'm there's always someone there because i'll be there so 
You can call me. Mm. Mate, you are an absolute lad. And there's no doubt your tennis is going to be a lot more beneficial, um, not having these shortness of breaths and um, this anxiety going to the match. So, mate, looking forward to seeing your tennis ranking climb as well, even though it's not all about that. It is about being happy and living that life. But I know you're driven to become the best tennis player you can be. So and there's no doubt once you've got that mental part of your game right, um, you're going to be a force, mate. Just out there trying to have a good time and be the best version of myself. Love that. Absolute lad.